What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Sunday League Screamers podcast. I am your host this week, Michael Nowen, with my two co-hosts, Vito Inazelli and Steve McCutcheon. Gentlemen, please say hello. What's going on, Mike? How we feeling, boys? How we feeling? Very confident, uh, very good, and hope the U.S. really pull a rabbit out of their hat. But we'll get to that in a little bit, some, some of the talking points. <laughs> uh, we have a great show coming up for you guys today for all of our 10 listeners. Uh, we're going through and grading all of the BPL teams and transfers thus far and having a very in-depth update on the USA and how we have progressed throughout the Gold Cup. Um, so to kind of kick it off, uh, first and foremost, go through the transfers. The way we're going to break this down is we more or less bucketed, in our opinion, uh, the grading system, if you're familiar with like A through F, A being you did amazing, F being you fucked up. Uh, <laughs> Well, well, so, well, that being said, we'll start with the first team that we've all agreed from a consensus perspective that we thought have done a really good job. Uh, we'll start with Aston Villa. Uh, Vito, how do you think that they've done thus far? Great. Uh, assuming the rumors are to be believed and uh, Leon Bailey really is going to be leaving Leverkusen following Kai Havertz to the Premier League a year later. I mean, that that puts them right in the A ranking. They, they've already picked up Bandia, who is the right winger. It was a really good signing for them. We know they struggled with goals when either Watkins or Grealish was out. So that was a great pickup. And I think Bailey is going to be a bit, a bit more of the same type of player. Um, but I think, I think that's exactly what they need. They've got Ashley Young on a free from Inter Milan after his, um, his one year was up. I think he'll bring a little bit of veteran, veteran leadership to him. Obviously, yep. he's not a guy you're going to expect playing week in, week out. But again, another guy you want in your locker room, great personality. So I think overall, they've, they've done a fantastic job so far. It's going to come down to the two hypotheticals. Like I said, if they 100% can secure Leon Bailey, as it's being talked about, and whether or not they're going to accept that $100 million for Grealish. And you would expect that would be the case, considering they're going to shell out a large sum of money on Bailey. And they're not, you know, financial heavyweights like some of the other teams in the league. So I think it would be safe to say that, that that's probably going to end up happening. But they keep, they keep Grealish uh, as well, A+. Plus. Yeah, A++ plus, plus, plus if they keep Grealish somehow and they actually do sign – uh, Leon Bailey as well. They have left, right, center, everything covered at that midfield. Watkins up front. That's a real legitimate attack right there. Goal scoring threats on every side. Um, love love the signing of Leon Bailey. Big fan of that one. Young to short the back. Grealish would just be the bonus if they ended up do keeping him. But to my knowledge, uh, you know, hundred million, you got to take it as Ashton Villa. But it is up to Grealish from all the news reports and if he wants to leave his boyhood club or not. Regardless if he does or doesn't. I think he he's he's a great player. He he can help them out. Uh, Man City or Ashton Villa doesn't really matter. But if he stays, honestly, I think they they legitimately can push for a European uh, spot next year. I will agree and concur with all of that. Moving on to the next team, we have decided to give an A to Manchester United. Kind of kick it off. We touched on this prior because I think when we did the last podcast, we were there was talks that the Varane deal was almost completed. Since then, it has been completed. Uh, they confirmed it, so they now have Sancho Varane. Sorry. Veron, who came in, um, they've probably filled the two biggest holes and their squad just by doing that. Totally upgraded their team. Awesome, awesome moves. Must be nice to have owners who can spend millions and millions of dollars at the drop of a hat. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I honestly can't see too many holes in that team now, assuming Paul Pogba stays, assuming he doesn't leave. That's, that's going to be a team where they're really going to be challenging for a trophy this year, if not multiple trophies. So. 
Yeah. I agree. I think up front, maybe the, someone to uh, eventually replace Cavani and then just a midfield partner uh, on the defensive side for Paul Pogba is really all they need left. Um, other than that, they the only thing I think that hurts them for a title shot is just their depth. I don't think they have enough compared to someone like the likes of Man City, Liverpool, and almost Chelsea now too. I think they, they're getting to that point where they have two first-team squads very close. Yeah, I mean, if they do pick up Leon Goresco like we were, we were discussing previous week, um, that would that would be the solution for them in that midfield there. And I, it doesn't set... Doesn't sound like they're done. I think there's going to be another move or two from them. I, they're very, they're active like Chelsea were last year, and they know they have to be. And like you, I think uh, Mike, you were saying it last week. If they don't want a trophy, I mean they're out. So I think Ole's putting putting in the transfer request and to like, get me my players if you want those trophies. Third team that we decided to give an A to, uh, yeah, Leicester City. Um, they've done a great job in the past couple of years. You know, really solidifying themselves as not. I guess we could say a non-traditional top six team, you know, going from obviously being out of that relegation battle, winning the Premier League into the Champions League, kind of bouncing back and forth. They lost Mares a couple of years ago. And honestly, they're one of their head of recruitment. He's they've done a phenomenal job replacing Conte, Mares, some of the other bigger players who maybe have left that team. And then plugging and filling those gaps. Um, this is just another example of another year signing Dacos the apparent heir to Vardy, who's, I think he's like 34 now. They had Sumari and Ryan Bertrand. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're plugging holes that they, they know they had to fill. And I I think that they do an outstanding job transfer wise. Yeah. They're doing a good job by getting guys relatively cheap as well. Considering the potential upside for a lot of these guys. Yeah. And don't forget, obviously, I feel like everyone always basically ups the price and set the second year Premier League squad. Every other team in Europe is just like, Oh, an extra 10 million right there in the pocket. So. When uh, you see it, when you see a team from England actually do good business like that, it is kind of uh, nice to see. You know, they're doing something behind the scenes that's very well. Daka looks to be legit. I mean, granted, I saw one fr- one friendly match of his so far, but the second he came onto the field, got a uh, got a goal, played a big part into another goal. Didn't get the assist, but basically like the second assist, and then also earned a penalty to get the third goal. So, looks legit. We'll see how it plans out for him, but you know, it might be the replacement that they need. Bertrand's a great addition on that left side. And then we'll see if Sumari can uh, lock up the midfield with Ndidi or not. I think they need to be looking at a center back too, but that's another another conversation. Yes, they do need just for the depth and the injuries because once Evans and Sonachi went out last year, yeah. they it, it shattered them. That, that's when they got uh, they lost the Champions League. Wes Morgan retired. I mean, granted, he I mean he probably like only had, what, eight, eight appearances <laughs> last year at most? Yeah, yeah, but it was a good filling guy if you needed him. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. To the teams graded B, first we start with Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, Arsenal has made a couple moves. You know, they picked up uh, Ben White. They picked up Tavares and left back. Because we know, we, like we had said previously, they needed to kind of do something with that back line. And Lacongo, um, they picked up who's kind of a lesser known name, but he, he's filling in that center mid position. And you know what? It's a good thing they did because have watching Thomas Partey limp out of the friendly yesterday against Chelsea, we had said that was already going to be a need for them and to be down Thomas Partey is, is not a good place to be. So uh, I think they're kind of in the same place as Leicester. Steve, as you mentioned, plugging up the holes. They're not they're not going crazy with the names that they're getting. I don't think they have the pull for that at the moment. They need to be back in the Champions League spots for that. But I think it's a good start for them. I think it's nice to see Arteta get and the guys that he wants. And it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if they perform the way uh, Arteta wants them to because I think he's in the same boat as Ole coming up. It's, it's like, hey, we're getting you the guys you want. The squad's still good enough to, to push potentially for that fourth Champions League place or at minimum for Europa League spot. So I think they're making good progress. I think it's the yeah, Europa League at a minimum or bust for 
for Arteta at this point. I don't think he keeps the job. If not, I mean, they, I saw a funny statistic the other day. They have six of the seven top transfers ever on Arsenal in their lineup right now. Granted, yeah, Partey just got hurt. We don't know how that's going to play out for them. But regardless of injury, you have six of the seven highest signings ever. So either Arteta can't figure out how to use them. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, they're all in the current roster. So either he doesn't know how to use them or management buying players actually just sucks and they're overspending for no reason. So it's one it's one of the two. And granted, nine times out of ten, I feel like the manager takes the sacking out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not going to sack Cronky uh, or anyone else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if Ben White's necessarily the answer for him. I mean, he's played yeah. 38 games in the Premier League, right? English English championship player, uh, defender of the year, but who knows? We'll see. English yeah. price tag, ta- English taxes, you know, 20 million nowadays. Chelsea made a couple decent tackles, stepped in when he needed to. So mm-hmm. it was definitely encouraging um, to watch him perform yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll see. Second team in the B category, Crystal Palace. Uh, we were talking last week about the – I'm going to totally kill his name. Guhi? Guhi. Guhi. Yeah, he's a, he looks like to be an exciting player. Curious to see how he comes on, like we were saying. They have Ezzy now. They have Zaha, Guhi. They're going to be fun in the attack in that sense. They got a big hole-filled center back-wise because Gary Cahill just left. They signed Joachim Anderson or Joachim – all the names, the European names. Sorry for anyone who's listening. I'm totally butchering. We're uh, very uncultured. Yeah, apparently uncultured swine here. But um, yeah, I mean, they, I think they've done a good job personally, filling in a bunch of big holes they need to. Also bringing in a lot of youth where possible. Um, they're setting themselves up for the next, for the future, realistically. And I, I think that that's the right moves for them at the right time maybe a year or two late. They've been relatively stagnant. So I'm happy to see that they're actually going out and spending money because they haven't been that type of club in the past. So. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And then they have, they also brought in Connor, Connor Gallagher uh, on loan from Chelsea to kind of shore up the middle of the field a little bit. And yep. in their friendly earlier today, we're recording this on a Sunday. They uh, went down to 10 men, I think within like 30 minutes, totally crystal palace, like in a friendly to do that. And um, <laughs> uh, Connor Gallagher just ran the midfield, play, played some nice passes for, they just drove. He's one of those guys that just drives from box to box with the ball and is very good center defensive mid. Just kind of controls the whole midfield for him. So if he stays mm-hmm. healthy for them, I think it's a very big pickup as well to sit right in front of that back line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of good bits of transfer business they they did with Chelsea there this this season. Um, well, before the season, but yeah, I agree, Steve. I mean, he was he was great watching against Bournemouth too. He was the only good guy to go ninety minutes on the Chelsea team, and outside of maybe one sloppy touch, he was very well composed. I would like to see him drive forward a little bit more, but I I think that's exactly what they're going to be looking for from him. Mm-hmm. Next up in the B category, Leeds United. I think they did an excellent job. They secured Jack Harrison on, uh, on a permanent deal from Manchester City, which was huge. He played a big role in their season last year, and just having him on a permanent basis is awesome. Junior Firpo from Barcelona to shore up that left side after Alielski left. Just a great signing again. They're doing good business. Mm-hmm. They might need another center back, possibly. I think they could just get like one maybe marquee name in there just to really – Short of the back line, but the way uh, BSL loves to play over there, it's just, it's just attack, attack, attack yeah. at that point. I don't, you, you can sign someone like Veron, and I, I really don't think it would make a massive impact on their team. Maybe just a little bit. Just I, I, think like that, the I think that's an understatement and a half. I think that would I, I don't know. I don't know, man. Listen, that's, going, a, Kante, that's it. They just need you're, Kante you're, so he can do all the defensive work of five people while everyone else is in the opposing 18. <laughs> Listen, they're eight on two in the attack at one point, and then it's eight on two the other way back. So I, there's not much you could do with that. And then fourth team up in the B category and the final team, Liverpool. 
you know, yeah. how do you think they've done thus far? Yeah, I mean, they, they haven't done a whole lot, to be honest. I mean, the big, the only real move they made was for Konate, but I think that's the one they needed the most was to fill that center back position with the injury mm-hmm. worries between, you know, Virgil and um, Joe Gomez and, well, honestly, everyone on that team at this point. Um, so it, <laughs> it, was a good, it was a good move. They didn't they don't really have to do too much. They, the foundation's there. They play well together. Klopp's a, Klopp's a mastermind. He's a genius. And, you know, they're going to get the best out of him. Um, we said it last week. The only thing that I would like to see them do is go out and maybe get another center midfielder, uh, maybe more of a box-to-box guy to replace uh, Aldum. But outside of that, good piece of business. They got him at a reasonable price, too, and he's, he's yeah. a top, top player, especially at 22 years old. So I, I think he's uh, definitely one to watch the future. So good good for Liverpool there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. They sure up the midfield a little bit with, uh, after the Wijnaldum departure. They go up to an A without a doubt. They didn't have to do much going into the window. So if they're going to knock out the exact two areas of the field that they need, well played. Agreed. In the C category, we'll start first with Chelsea. Steve, as a Chelsea fan, how do you feel? Uh, the only reason they're up there in the C range is just because of the amount of funds that they're uh, getting in right now. With the Gehi and the Tamari sales, they're roughly in the 50 to 60 million profit range on, on top of a couple of academy players. They haven't really signed anyone besides just the uh, third string keeper. But, you know, they're getting the funds together for Holland, maybe, or just some other type of striker that they want to bring in. And uh, we'll see from there how it goes. But, yeah, they're just there just because of the sales and the profit that they brought in. Yeah. Do you think if Chelsea doesn't sign a striker, they get an F? No, I wouldn't say they get an F. I would still probably keep them in that, honestly, that C category because they're offloading the people they need to offload, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think it puts them in a stronger position to get that striker. And I I don't think they need to panic spend because they have, as much as we we like to make fun of Timo, they do have Timo. He can be productive. I think there was a statistic out there, at least leading up, he was like one of Chelsea's main goal scoring threats and in like creating opportunities and things like that. Whether he finishes them or not, that's another story. But if he, you know, puts himself constantly in that position, it's going to happen eventually. So he's probably the highest uh, contributor in terms of just um, like was he the leader in assists? I don't know if he was or not. So creating opportunities, he definitely is 100 percent up there for the team. He did he do it in front of net? Now is there 14 different gifts on Twitter right now of him just shanking shots? Absolutely. But live with that. You have Tam Major backup as a B. He already proved one year that he can actually lead the front line for Chelsea. And then mm-hmm. if you really want to go that deep, you got Bashwai back there because he's back on uh, coming off alone too. Yeah. So they, they do have depth pretty much everywhere, but they do have to make a couple more, definitely some sales, Zappacosta, uh, Baharam. They're just, they, they go on and on of, you know, their, their loan system and just bringing guys in. So they do have to offload quite a bit more. Yeah. It's good. They're trimming, trimming the, uh, trimming the fat. They definitely have a bloated squad and getting that wage bill down is going to be crucial. If you want to sign a player like Lukaku or Holland. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Second player, or second player, second team, second team in the C category, Everton. Uh, realistically, they've had a decent transfer window. They signed Andres Townsend. Uh, I'd say that's a pretty good signing for them. Uh, provides more depth, more of an attacking presence than they already have. Now that Carlo Ancelotti's gone, they're going to probably still need all the help they can get, you know, moving forward in that space. Who knows if Hamas still stays on that team. Asmir Begovic, Damari Gray. I think that was a good signing uh, for them as well. He's a young player. He's relatively proven, not living up to the hype and the potential that he has just yet, but there is still a raw player in there that I think, given the right manager and the right circumstances, he could be really good and, and really grow. Maybe Everton's that place for him. Um, yeah, absolutely. And for the price tag, how do you go wrong? It was a 1.5 million or something like that. It was, no, it was absurdly cheap. No, no, for, um, for Damari Gray. Oh, yeah, it was like $2 million. 
Yeah, it, it was nothing. So, like, absolutely take the risk on a guy like that who has all the potential in the world. That, that, that's a good signing. I mean, granted, yes. Has he lived up to anything yet? Not really, no. But if you're going to be giving a guy for pretty much free, yeah, yeah, let's take it. Yeah, and yeah. He, watching him, you can see flashes of his brilliance, knowing that he does have the talent to do so. He's got to string it together more consistently. Um, mm-hmm. They also got Asmir Begovic as a backup goalkeeper on a free transfer. So, I think that was a good, a good move yeah. for them, too. Um, yeah, he actually um and did you see in the Florida Cup when he, he saved uh the penalty shootout and then scored the game winner too? Yeah. <laughs> great, yeah. great first impression. It's it's good to see Everton recognizing where their needs are too in, in the signings of Gray and Towson because they, they need they need that depth in the wings. Um, you know, you have uh Calvert Lewin through the middle and Richarlison likes to drift into that spot too. He can go outside and inside as well, but um they definitely were lacking on those outside corners and they I, signing these two guys I think makes complete sense for them. In all honesty, I think the one thing they really need to do is they they like to spend cash. Um, just from in my perspective, I always view them as like the Spurs of the North in a sense, where they they have like that Spursy record. They need someone defensively who can come in and be a rock for them. I really think they lack that leader. So if they can do that, definitely bumps them up in my book of having like a successful transfer window. Mm-hmm. Next up, Norwich City C. So with them. They lost a couple of players, brought in a couple of players. Um, most importantly, they filled in, um, I, in my opinion, they brought in Billy Gilmore. It'll be interesting to see what he's able to do coming in from Chelsea to help fill the hole that Oliver Skip left because he went back to Spurs. Uh, a couple other wingers, uh, Rashika from Ritter Bremen, a um, few others in general. Decent transfer window. I think they're going about it in a way where they had the success of getting into the Premier League about two years ago, right? And now they're yeah. it yep. seems like they're trying like a little bit of a different strategy, which I'm all for, and hopefully it pays dividends. We'll see what happens with that team throughout the throughout the year, though. But yeah, if they got killed last time. Pookie came off to a, a really hot start back. Uh, I guess 2019 it was uh, mm-hmm. in August, Player of the Month. They looked like they were rocking and rolling, like they never picked, like they just picked it right up from the championship. And then he got out hurt, and injured later in the year. You could just saw their attack completely just nosedive for the most part so Cantwell up there is definitely going to help it out Gilmore protecting the center backs and kind of controlling the midfield thinks a great signing mm. I still think they're kind of in that relegation battle without a doubt but yep. I think they were in much better hands than they were two years ago yeah I'm a big fan of that Rashika signing actually I, I, I like him as a player watching him in the Bundesliga I think he had 21 goals and 17 assists in about 80 or some odd matches so the return from him isn't isn't terrible. He's not a guy you're going to get a goal or assist from every game. But I think at this point in Norwich's bid for survival, that's the type of player they should be looking at. So it's good on them to go out and get him. Yeah, absolutely. He, he was good for Bremen when, when he was playing for them. Uh, fourth team in the C category, Tottenham Hotspur. Real brief on them. They signed two players. Um Younger goalkeeper, potentially the heir to Hugo Lloris. Happy with that. The way they structured the deal was perfectly fine. Um, they also saw, signed Brian Hill. Um, young, exciting Spanish winger. Beyond that, they've offloaded a whole lot of Deadwood from the team, which they, they needed to do. We've been saying they've had to do that for a while. So that's been good. Rumors are kind of floating around that they're wrapping up the deal for Christian Romero uh, from Atalanta. Hopefully within the next week ish we'll see that'll definitely bump them up a little bit but overall it's been a decent transfer window nothing too crazy just yet but i get the feeling that it's not done for them and there's going to be a lot more movement over the next two to three weeks with them yeah they they definitely need to cut the cut the, the wage bill and uh 
the quantity of players they have. I mean, they basically got rid of what five guys and just to offset the Brian Hill signing, but I mean, that's what they had to do. So I think it's, they recognize their needs as well. Now they just need to start making, spending some cash. I mean, they got a Harry size, uh, Harry Kane size hole they might need to fill. Depending on if Grealish goes or not. I read there was reports saying that if Grealish shines, they are not going to go in for Kane, but also if there's one team in the world or two teams in the world that have that ability, PSG and Man City, you know, like yeah. never doubt them. They have money in places you wouldn't even want to believe or know about. Yeah, and Kane's made it pretty clear <laughs> that he wants to leave at this point. And I think, like you said, it'll depend on Grealish. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. And then the final team in the C category, Watford. Steve, what's your assessment on them? They pretty much are just plugging a hole as best that they can right now. A lot of it all over the place, though. I mean, Danny Rose on a free transfer is a pretty good business. Yes, he's getting up there in age, but you know, just showing up the left side. He's been in the Premier League with Tottenham for years and years. Uh, they got Joshua King up front, uh, Ashley Fletcher up front, both again free transfers. So I don't. I guess they really don't have much money to be spending coming up from there. But um, they're trying to plug as best they can. Last time they came up, they had really, really hard time uh, struggling, scoring the goals. So. They've loaded up up there. I think they also got Dawson in the back. I don't know if they signed him this year or if he was just recently, but um, they're up there in age. I don't know how well they're going to be doing. I think they're definitely relegation candidates right now, but they're trying to do pretty much everything possible just to stay up. Mm-hmm. Yep. And apologies. I missed a couple other teams in the C category. So two others, West Ham, Wolves. We'll start with West Ham. Vito, your assessment on West Ham thus far in the transfer market. Yeah, West Ham uh, did a good job by going going out and getting Craig Dawson. They definitely needed a center back back there, so getting him from Watford was uh, was a good move for them. Alphonse Ariola from alone from Paris Saint Germain. I mean, that makes complete sense. They have about nineteen goalkeepers at this point, uh, <laughs> and he's he's a he he's still a great keeper. You know, he's just maybe not PSG quality at the moment. So it's it's good for them to add them in as well. Uh, Felipe Anderson came back from his loan at Porto, so it'll be interesting to see if he uh, gets. I was not you know he went to Lazio, didn't he? Yep, he went back to Lazio. Going to Lazio. Yeah, I, I like Felipe Anderson too. I'm disappointed it didn't work out for him at West Ham. But they still need to go get that that striker. They need to go get more firepower up front. We know they've been linked with Tammy Abraham, we, as we said last week as well. So still more to come from them. They've had an, an all right transfer season so far, but hopefully they got a couple more moves in them. Mm-hmm. And then the final team in the C category, category Wolves. Just looking at this, and I didn't realize this too. This kind of caught me by surprise, but they picked up Francisco Trincao on loan from Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. That's actually a pretty cool move, which I weren't even aware that they were doing that. I'm not sure if he's a Jorge Mendez client at all. <laughs> Might be. He Portuguese. Uh, I'm not Portuguese. aware. All right. Well, if he fits the player <laughs> profile, I guess. They're just really 11 Portuguese players at this point. <laughs> Ronaldo's I next, I heard. I don't yeah. know how that get away with that in all honesty, but um, I, I like it. Um, the, the main thing, obviously, and I'm kind of surprised that they, at least from what I can tell based on the players they picked up, obviously after the Raul Jimenez injury, um, their striker, they need somebody who can really come in and be a replacement if needed. I don't see anybody on that list of names that have come in that really pops out as like, Hey, this guy's the backup. I know they still, I think they still have William Jose. So maybe they have plans to utilize him a little bit more just in case. Um, but yeah, they're being relatively cautious right now in the transfer market, not too much spending, um, not sure what to expect with, from them next year, but as of right now in that, in my opinion, lower C category of like a transfer, like they just squeak in a little bit. Yeah. They got the replacement with, uh, Jose Sa to, uh, after Patricio left. So 
they did do that right away. They might be working on another striker. I don't know if they'll actually get it in or not, but yeah, their attack suffers greatly when Jimenez isn't up there scoring goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great move by picking up Saw. I mean, we'll see how he performs in obviously a more demanding league like the Premier League. He came over from uh, Olympiacos, so it's it's going to be maybe a little a little different. But seventy games, thirty two, uh, forty two clean sheets, only thirty two goals conceded, and I think they got him for like nine million or something like that dollars, not even pounds. So I think it's a great a great piece of business for them. Mm-hmm. On to the D teams. First up. Brentford veto assessment on Brentford um they they spent actually a little bit bigger than I expected them to but I think Mike you were saying last year they're not in the uh the youth category the, the you know they're out there spending money on players um yep. so they picked up a center back Ayer I believe how you pronounce his name 23 years old a lot of upside potential they got him from Celtic so he's already coming from a, a championship caliber team um they spent actually a decent amount on him at about 17 million and uh on Onyanka I'm not gonna be able to pronounce that correctly but he's a central <laughs> midfielder for 11 million so they they definitely seem to be shoring up their spine they did a little bit of business with chelsea again miles pearl hallis um he's an attacking midfielder so it just kind of seems like what they've been looking to do is kind of shore up all aspects of the field and kind of provide themselves a little bit more depth not a lot of players have left and the ones that have had have gone on free transfers so maybe that's a little bit detrimental but i mean they're not going to be attracting the type of talent that's going to be able to keep them in the league at this point and and they're early candidates for relegation in my opinion so I think that's why we have them so so kind of so low there, um, but hopefully more to come from them and they can try to climb that table a bit. Mm. Second candidate, second candidate in the D category, Brighton. Um, like we were saying the week prior, when kind of going through a little bit of the assessments on the second episode or the first episode of the podcast, um, they just need somebody who can really put in the goals, who can really do that. I would love to see them kind of make a move for somebody, maybe a little bit more well-known, more finishing prowess, you know, might be a little bit older later in the twilight of their career, but still wants to come to the Premier League, something to prove. They haven't done that. Um, that's by far the glaring need. They got to do something about that, in, in my opinion, to get out of that category, get out of that D potential. Yeah, Definitely. Third up, Burnley. Steve, how do you feel about Burnley and their transfer approach thus far? I mean, they're in the D category, so not well. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, now they 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 just need more work. They're not really picking the spots where they need to be, in my opinion. They got Wayne Hennessy to back up Pope. I guess that's good business. But realistically, get someone in the midfield. They need someone in the attacking presence just to get the ball forward, take on more responsibility, just getting the ball from the back to the front. And then I, I really think they need to sign like a legitimate striker. I don't know if they have the guys that are necessarily going to be putting the ball in the back of the net on a consistent basis between Wood, Vidra. Um, I know they have one more, Ashley something, Ashley Wood. I, I forget what his name is exactly, but they, they, they are not signing the players that they need to be doing. That's why they're in the D category. Yeah, they did sign um, one center back from Stoke from the championship. Uh, he contributed three goals last year and he, he played 39 games. Yeah, Nathan Collins. Right yeah, so – I mean, that's pretty good for that's pretty good business in terms of getting him relatively cheap. I mean, we hope it's going to be cheap. We hope he's a success, obviously. Um, we'll see. But yeah, they just they're not they're not active is the mm. main issue. All right. Fourth up, Manchester City in the D category. So far, have not done anything, have all the money in the world to spend on players, but have not been able to agree to any terms with any players. 
Um, until that changes, can't really see them really getting out of that category. They also haven't, from my knowledge, haven't been able to really get people to leave besides Aguero. They got Eric Garcia to go to Barcelona. Um, but they do have, from my understanding, some people that they want to offload, maybe Sterling, uh, maybe uh, Laporte. It just yeah. depends. Like there's a couple of names that have been floating around. So until they make some moves, um, you know, the, just to be honest. Yeah, I think that they're, they're in the same position that Chelsea are, but Chelsea are selling players. That Eric Garcia actually left on a free transfer. Obviously, yep. yes, Aguero did as well. So I, they did they did sell Angelino to Leipzig for like $20 million, but money is not City's problem. It's about who they're acquiring to fill these massive, massive shoes of Aguero. Um, and until they do that, they're, yeah, it's a failure for them. They, they yeah, made one, one transfer, Scott Carson on a free transfer. <laughs> Back of Cobra. A plus to me. Yeah. But, um, yeah, once they figure out the Aguero situation with the striker, they're obviously going to move up. And then we're recording this on a Sunday night. So by the time this is posted on like a Tuesday, Grealish might have already chosen to go to City. And then obviously much different of a rating for them as well. Yeah. I still think that would only bump them up to a, a C maybe. It's not their big need, until, in my opinion, until they finish that striker search. I would agree. Definitely, yeah, I it's definitely first. I would agree. Um, and then the final D team, Southampton just quickly looking at kind of the people that have come in to come out, they did get rid of a lot of players. Um, some released on free transfers, some they were able to sell. They brought in Theo Walcott to help out with the attack a little bit. So that'll be a, a big plus. Realistically, I, I just feel like they're lacking, uh, especially if Ings leaves, they're going to be lacking someone up top. They need someone a little bit more central. Mm -hmm. I feel like defensively too, they were a little suspect, especially in the later half of the year and, Maybe and someone to help sure that up. That's something they'll look at. But from my understanding, they don't have the most money to really be spending. So they have to be cautious and smart about how they're really finding these players until they're able to kind of fill some of those holes or do some type of swap deals. Don't really see it really getting any higher for them at it instead of this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Danny Ings thing that that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out for the most part. I think they're honestly, I'm not big on letting, I, I'm big on, getting the most value for your guys when you have them. But in this situation, the, the one of the very few times I say, let the guy leave for free the next summer and just keep yourselves in the Premier League and have those funds available for you for the next season, if necessary. Um, otherwise you get relegated. Yes. You get some relief packages and funds from there, but yep. it's not enough. You want to be in the Premier League regardless. So I, I think very rarely, I would say let a guy leave for free, but this might be one of those scenarios where carry us to next season and then we'll figure it out from there. As we know, they're perennial sellers. They always have been, and I don't see that changing anytime soon either. They're not necessarily buyers. And, I mean, they've been fighting relegation for the past couple of years now. They finished two spots above the drop in 2018. 2019, they improved a little bit, finishing 11th. But then again, last year, you see them back towards the bottom in, in a potential relegation battle. So it, it's not a sustainable business plan for them, and they really need to start making some moves if they want any chance of staying up you know, for the next couple of years. Absolutely. And then our final team in the league, the only team to get the coveted <laughs> Newcastle. They have been atrocious this transfer market. They don't have from really any any money to spend. Yeah, they they got a whole lot of work to do with a team that just yeah they they really need some some serious help. Some they serious need to get bought out is what they've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, God bless them. God bless those fans. Uh, I can't imagine that pain. But um, yeah. hard to believe that Anna uh, Shearer played for them long ago in a yeah, gala time. <laughs> Please don't get mad at George Lucas and copyright us. <laughs> 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 um, 
Yeah, but that's pretty much it for our transfer roundup and where the team stand, our gradings thus far. Obviously, as Steve stated, this is being recorded on a Sunday night. As of tomorrow, who knows what the hell will happen. The soccer world moves extremely fast. Football, football, football get it right. World is extremely fast. So, you know, maybe by that point, Grelish is on Man City. Like Grelish. Look, man, I, I don't... <laughs> Uncultured swine, we get it. <laughs> Killing me. <laughs> Look, <laughs> it's better than Atlanta the entire time. <laughs> anyway, moving on to the Gold Cup. Want to kind of get your both opinions on how the, you've seen the U.S. play, you know, from the beginning Gold Cup stages to this point right now. Curious, you know, what you thought has been going well, what you thought hasn't been going well. Um, we'll kind of also walk through players' stocks that have increased, player stocks that maybe have decreased a little bit. Um, and then beyond that, just kind of going through Burhalter as a whole and getting, you know, an idea of what we really think about him, given his tenure, where he's at with this team since he's been in charge. So, Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll kick it off real quick. Just I'll, I'll group all the group stage matches together for the most part. They were all very similar in the sense of besides the Martinique game, that that was completely different. I think that was a, just a completely the quality of Martinique versus the U.S., even if it is our B or C team, is just very, very different, very it's a big, big difference in quality for the most part. Yeah. And that's why it ended up being 5 1, 6 1, whatever the final score was. But Haiti and Canada both were very similar in the sense that the first half was KG. We got early goals, thankfully, and just kind of rode those out for the most part. But you could tell these guys haven't played together. This is their first camp as a, as a group. So it was mm-hmm. KG. Didn't really have a natural flow to it. The midfield looked kind of suspect at times. The attacking up front, we'll get to Daryl DK later and how he did not impress one bit and all. But very similar games in, in, in the group stages. KG in the first half, we figured it out in the second, and then just kind of wrote it out with early, some early goals. Mm-hmm. I would totally agree with that assessment. Um, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that, obviously, the t- these people don't play together on a daily basis. It's also, from the most part, a very young starting 11 that Brawlhalter is putting out there each each week in and in out. I will say that for the, again, like the most part, it's a pretty consistent 11, which, you know, obviously helps build confidence and helps build that chemistry, which I do like that he's doing. But I feel like as the U.S., you know, we have a lot of talented players, you know, in the MLS, in Europe, whatever it might be. And in some of these games, like we really should be imposing ourselves a little bit more and not have those nerves like you were mentioning. It's something I would love to see us kind of work out. And I, you could tell Berhalter's trying to get his team to play out of the back more, be more confident on the ball, play a little bit more possession. But I feel like some of the players haven't really bought into that, at least with this roster in the Gold Cup. And, you know, it's they're making good progress. And I think he's seeing a lot of who he can trust and rely on for these big qualifying games down the line. I'll put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it also doesn't help. Like, he's experimenting as well with with the squad. The group stage games, we didn't play the same. We didn't start out in the same formation for any of the three games. We had a four through three in the beginning, then a three four three, and then a three five two. So he, he switched it up as much as possible. Got some guys in some different spots just to just change it up for the most part. He doesn't know what he has with these guys, right? This is basically our B and C, our squad depth for World Cup qualifiers and World Cup in the future. So he's figuring it out as he's going along as well. Yeah, I, I, that's exactly what I was going to say, Steve. I, I think this Gold Cup came around at the perfect time. Um, he's getting to see a lot of players who are still te- realistically kind of fringe players who he needs to understand um, a little bit better in order to make his decisions, who's going to come with, so, uh, you know, Dest and Pulisic and McKenney to the World Cup. Because, I mean, realistically, there's only a couple short things in that U.S. Uh, national team at the moment. So it's 
Mike, you mentioned it with that K, the KG first half they have. They had definitely looked better as the games progressed. I would like to see them be a little more confident on the front foot, but um, I mean, they're in the final, so. Mm -hmm. So based on what you've both seen so far, who are some players that you think have either underperformed, overperformed? Curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, I mean, we can start with just the, the guys out of the stock that's increased for the most part. Um, first and foremost, Matt Turner and goal. Dude's been oh, yeah. unreal right now in this tournament. He's making saves that he should be making, but he's also making the ones that you don't, you would expect a goal and he's still turning up. That Qatar game, two point blank opportunities that, that our defense screwed him on. He kept them at bay. We're actually currently watching the Mexico game as recording this, and he's been on his head out a few of these chances. So it, it, it really all depends um, what's going forward because you have Stefan as, I still think is the number one. I, I was gonna say, you know, even after everything with the last Gold Cup and Horvath, and the fact that even he's not Stefan's not even playing for City. You know, Horvath's starting for the most that, part. That's what I'm saying. Like, how short term memory are we? You know what I mean? Like, yes, Turner's putting in an absolute shift right now. Horvath put in a great Nations League final game, and Stefan, yes, at Man City, I think the experience is great playing under Pep and playing behind um, Ederson over there. But yes, he is going to need to get some first time, uh, first 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 team experience out there. Otherwise, it's kind of a waste. So mm -hmm. Matt Turner is definitely on the up and up. And let's just say Stefan's a starter right now, but that second spot, he's going to be pushing Horvath like no other. Yeah, I think Turner's definitely turning up the heat on uh, Stefan. Um, my only problem with Horvath's a decent keeper, but, um, you know, you can't – I don't think he's necessarily directly in the conversation based off of that, you know, one, one run they had where they won that trophy. Um Matt Turner has looked really good. He, he's made a couple incredible saves, but his decision-making at times has been a little suspect. He's been caught in possession a couple times, especially tonight mm -hmm. because, you know, the game's live right now, the final. Um, and in the first half, he got caught in possession and, you know, Mex Mexican player took a dive. Then the penalty didn't, did, you know, didn't get called against him, thankfully. But we're seeing the same thing with Stefan when he was, was playing and it was the FA Cup when they were playing against Chelsea and they got knocked out or whoever they was against when he made the mistake for the one-no loss. So, I think you're right, Steve. I think Stefan remains the number one at the moment, but I, I can totally see Turner in net come come next December or November. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's definitely going to be on the World Cup qualifier uh, rosters without a doubt after this performance. Mm -hmm. Secondary question for you, Vito. How long were you waiting to use that Turner's turning up the heat line? <laughs> I, I, didn't even, I honestly didn't notice that you just said it out loud. <laughs> you had that pencil then, didn't you? Yeah, I wrote oh, on yeah, my definitely did. It's written yeah. down in front of him. It's on a post-it on his laptop yeah. right now right in front of him. <laughs> Made flashcards um, and taped them to the wall. Yeah, I'd say <laughs> another player that I think has done really well, and we were talking about this prior uh, while watching this game and some of the prior games, Miles Robinson. Uh, the back line for the U.S. is very, I don't want to say suspect, but it's fluid, and it could be changing at any point and any time just based on some of the players, some of the performances. I'd say the only real lock in there is probably John Brooks and Serginho Dest. Mm -hmm. um, besides that, there are two open spots on that team. Uh, Miles Robinson, he probably won't be getting the starting spot as a center back in the World Cup qualifier, but I think he's pretty much solidified himself as maybe a fringe third, probably that fourth center back pairing, realistically, um, to kind of come in and help sure up, God forbid, any injuries, things of that nature. He's had an outstanding, in my opinion, um, Gold Cup. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, yeah, John Brooks, definitely the out and out uh, number one that we have there. Uh, Chris Richards, I think, is a pretty probably locked in as a number two currently. They haven't really done enough together, though, yet. So to see that partnership, McKenzie's up there. And then I think Robinson's right behind him now after all this. So he yep. can easily go up from here, no doubt about it, young guy and everything. But um, he's, it's an uphill battle. He's, he's 
you know, got these guys over in Europe that are performing for those clubs and we'll see how it goes for him. But he's definitely taken a huge step forward, going to be a part of the World Cup qualifier squad, without a doubt, in my opinion. Um, I, I, I don't see how Berhalter can leave him off. Yeah. I, I think, um, sorry, just moving on to Jesse Zardes. Do you think he comes in this in uh, the World Cup qualifiers? You think Berhalter brings him along? Because he's had a decent campaign for this Gold Cup as well. And he hasn't always been the most reliable guy at times. And he got the move. Baralter is actually the one who, who secured his transfer in, I think it was two years ago when he had that last breakout year where he, he was a big slump and he came back and he scored like 20-some-odd goals, like a career mm-hmm. high um, in the MLS. And that's how he came back to the national team. But do you guys think he'd be on the roster? I think he's definitely on the roster. Uh, I think Sargent is going to be the starter for us uh, at that point in time. He's currently in the Bundesliga second league. And I really hope he gets transferred out of there this summer up, up to the uh, Bundesliga again. Because I think he's well more valuable up there, and he can help a team. But um, yeah, I see Zardes being there. He plays the Burhalter system well. Um, for those that don't know, like Olivier Giroud back in the 2018 World Cup, I don't even think he scored a goal for France, but they ended up winning the tournament. And he was probably the most crucial player on that team, just holding the ball up, letting the wingers and the midfielders run off of him. Zardes is kind of that guy for him, and Burhalter does enjoy that. Granted, obviously we're gonna play different against certain opponents and stuff, but. For the time being, yeah, he, he does deserve a spot. Uh, but I do think he's behind Sargent on the pecking order. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then what about at the right back position with Shaq Moore? We kind of have an embarrassment. I don't say embarrassment of riches, but we do have a lot of really good right backs with yeah. the U.S. right now. Sergio Dest, obviously, he's a natural right back, right? Um, but he can play on the left. So if you wanted to do something along those lines. Uh, Reggie Cannon and Shaq Moore, who's had a pretty solid gold cup. He only came in, from my understanding, because of an injury, too um to reggie in the beginning games and since then he's really taken a hold of that spot and made it his own at least in this tournament he definitely deserves a call up if not to be looked at potentially down the line as like hey maybe we need that backup player to come in help really push the competition um internally keep everyone on their toes um maybe provide something in a in a game that requires it so yeah no it's, it's definitely a, a a lot of riches over there i mean you got deandre yedlin still that you can, oh, you can plug in yeah. there um, yeah that, that, that there's so many different guys that we could possibly like put put in that position i wouldn't be shocked if we do allow someone like Moore or reggie can to play right back we move desk to the left because we're not really sure about anton robinson and over there over there so wouldn't shop him one but if that happens because we do have such good quality at the right back position mm-hmm. and then the last player that at least we earmarked um i think we all can agree on to uh matthew hoppy he's been really good throughout the tournament. He's been scoring big game in big games, a lot of big goals. He's got some pretty nifty footwork too. There was a yeah. play, I forget who it was it. I can't remember the exact team, but he made like, I think it was like two people in a row. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a good step to him. Like, and you, and he usually plays typically as like an out and out striker, but he has that flexibility to play either on the wing, the left through the middle. Um, I think he's definitely one to watch and hopefully he he's one who also maybe gets a transfer out of Schalke goes up to a little bit better of a team. Um, so he can kind of really spread his wings and grow more as a player too. So, yeah, absolutely. I really hope he does, uh, does get out of there because he should be in the first division in my opinion. Um, looks good as a winger, looks comfortable, which is unusual. Sometimes a lot of those guys at striker, they, they kind of lose their footing when they're out, out in the wide uh, flanks and everything like that. So mm-hmm. good to see what he's doing. I like him a lot because he's actually willing to take guys one-on-one, which a lot of our team teams, at least in the Gold Cup so far, seem hesitant, right? They're not like Pulisic and like McKenzie and guys that just get forward. So he's been one of the talismans, in my opinion. Grant, does it work out every time? Is his decision-making in the final third the best? No, but the kid's like, what, 19 or something like that? So, yeah, you know, he's going to grow. He's you're going to run into there. that. But 
being willing just to take everyone like straight to the defense absolutely stocks up. Yeah, it's it's something this team has been missing is that that direct player to to push the tempo, the push that back line a little bit, have him a little bit weary, and he's been uh, he's been fantastic. I watched that uh, that nutmeg he had like three times on repeat. It was. <laughs> uh, he's definitely one to watch. Yeah, and it's some players that maybe have not had the greatest gold cup, and we'll kind of go back through and do some honorable mentions afterwards. But players that haven't had the greatest gold cup, uh, obviously the big one, uh, Daryl DK. He, from my what I've read, he's been playing hurt a little bit, but I'm um, still obviously you know all the hype built up around him over the past couple months. You know, obviously on, went on a scoring frenzy we can call it that um in the championship with uh, the team barnsley to barnsley thank yeah. you so not what he would wanted i still think there's definitely a player in there i still think in the future maybe not this world cup but maybe the next one he'll be involved in those discussions and have there'll be a lot more say you know and he'll have a lot more sway in that but as of right now to your point like it's you would say it's probably sergeant you'd say it's probably zardes who just slips ahead of him maybe in like even another long shot scenario hoppy fills like that third void because he can play and that be flexible in those areas so is there room for dk i'm not sure like based on at least this right now if i was creating this the squad tomorrow i'll put it that way yeah no if it's tomorrow he's definitely out he's on the outside looking in without a doubt he's had 10 shots throughout the tournament five on target and then two goals most of that work was like on martinique who's obviously a very inferior opponent as we discussed before Mm -hmm. so his hold-up play, his first touches have been horrible. He has been, he's been losing possession up there. Yes, after the Canada game, there's something completely wrong with his shoulder. When he's running out there, you, you saw it just hanging down there. I've had, I've had a separated shoulder in my life. Thing sucks, and I don't even know how you can be playing soccer on that if that's the case. So like I have ze- football. I have zero idea of how that's even possible. So props to him for at least fighting through it. But yeah, he, um, he didn't do himself justice because Barnsley, he was lighting it up, goal scoring. I also just don't think he necessarily fits for Holter's system up front. So... That might not be helping him in, in a sense too, but once he gets more technical and I think he does have the capabilities of doing that, he'll be in the squad for a long time. Mm-hmm. Just not now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sebastian Jet, what are your guys' thoughts on him and how he's done? Mm, boo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Poopy. He, he, he kind of reminds me of like an older Michael Bradley now watching him on that U.S. field. It, it's, it, it's constantly – negating attacking movements he, he's slowing down the pace of play when the break was clearly on that he's not releasing players when they need they need to be released and he's just killing the overall tempo of the game especially given the first halves that we've seen from the u.s where they've been trapped in their own half for the most of, for the most part it's even more crucial when you do have that odd opportunity and he receives the ball you, you can see balls that need to be played into space for for their wingers or whatever and they're just not getting played and it's totally, it's totally pulling away from the attack and it's inviting more pressure back onto us. And then we're having to worry about playing out of the back. And like you said, Steve, this isn't necessarily our, our A lineup. So while it's nice to see this team trying to play out of the back more and more, they're not always 100%, I, I don't want to say confident, but I, should, I guess successful really. Um, so I, I really was hoping to see a little bit more from him during this tournament. I think what's interesting about him in particular too is that he was getting a lot of starts earlier um, under Burl Harcher and the, what was it? The CONCACAF Nations League or whatever it was. He was a part of that mm-hmm. team and he's getting a lot of minutes too. So it kind of makes me believe that he's obviously got some type of inclination to be using him, whether as it's like a leader on the field, maybe as some type of sway in that locker room or something along those yeah. lines. And those players respect him and look up to him, which is why he's consistently on that field, even though sometimes the performances may or may not deserve it. 
yeah, it could typically it can completely be just a locker room thing that we don't see from an outside perspective as a fan and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. absolutely, I, I'm a little disappointed in his performance. I don't have a problem with him being a hold in midfielder and doing what he's doing currently right now. But when he's killing counterattacks and just I don't know if it's just a lack of vision, lack of confidence, or he just straight up just doesn't like you know doesn't see it and what's going on. But there was plenty of times against Jamaica where I thought we could have been on the break three or four times, and he just put a sideways or backwards backwards yeah. pass, and I was like, "Come on, dude, no." Mm-hmm. Another player who probably had would have liked to have a better Gold Cup, Jackson Mule. Um, guys, thoughts on him and what he's done and where maybe it went wrong. I think he's really in his lack of confidence because back in the Nations League, um, when we were playing, you know, not as great of opponents and stuff like that, he was picking the ball around kind of like when prime Michael Bradley was actually like there. He was picking apart defenses left, right, up and through the middle. Um, just lately just hasn't been there for him. He's had one start and then two substitute appearances in this uh, uh, goal cup so far. And I don't see the player that what he was for, for, I don't know if he's not being utilized in the position he needs to be right now, but it's just, it's just not there from, from what he's been in the past. So I think he's definitely on the outside looking in and maybe not get back in. I think it says a lot too that, especially after the, I think it was like the first game that he played, they put in um, Buzio. Am I saying his name right? The 19 year old yeah. transferred from Kansas city to, to Italy. Um, and he in certain games wasn't even having the greatest games and yet. He was still being preferred over Yule. So I think his confidence definitely took a hit. It's, I mean, he's going to take some time to build it back up. There's a player in there, like like we were saying, if you're going to make a team tomorrow, does he make it and fill that hole behind a Weston McKinney or a Tyler Adams and kind of fill that six spot? Probably not, realistically. No, absolutely. At that point, you stink with uh, Linget and uh, Leggett and use the experience and the leadership role. If if they're going to be on the same level footing at that point, you know? Yeah, I would take Linjet over yeah. uh, Jackson Yule right now, definitely. What about Pines? How are you guys feeling about him? Uh, yeah, just kind of get off the field, to be honest with you. <laughs> Honestly, like, no, when, when he came on for Zimmerman when he got hurt, it, it was a completely like obvious just lack of play. He can't, he can't, he can't pass out of the back. He looks very uncomfortable back there, and that's exactly what Burhalter wants to be doing. He gave it away two or three times like immediately. Thankfully, yeah. Robinson was back there and, co- and covered his ass, but he definitely looks not comfortable in it, and he is did not make a good impression. There's a reason uh, we're gonna go over his name in a second, probably uh, with James Sands. But he's a defensive midfielder and center back, and you see why he's preferred right now as a center back throughout the rest of the tournament instead of Pines. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we're getting on Lundjet for you know ca- causing a little bit of defensive worry with his back passing and not applying pressure. I mean, the only thing worse is giving the ball away and the bet from the back line. And he's been doing, he's done that like to your point, Steve, a couple of times. And uh, that, I mean, that's totally unacceptable. If you want to, if you've got to kick the ball upfield, if you're going to feel pressure being applied, then do it. But you can't be giving it away, you know, mm-hmm. 30 yards away from your net. Absolutely. Imagine you're playing against, you know, not Mexico, but you're playing against. Ronaldo someone. would have had nine goals. But like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like any other team that has some type of like legitimate finisher, yeah. like it's, you can't do that. Yeah. So. If he brings that to the World Cup, you might as well just write them off uh, every game. You're already playing at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. And then I'll ask the both of you as well. In terms of some honorable mentions, uh, who, are your, who are some players that we haven't said you both think, you know, deserve at least some kudos given maybe some uh, substitute appearances or what they've been able to do in a short time on the field? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say James Sands again real quick, just 
Yeah, he's, he's, been able, he's able to play multiple positions right now, and he's looked really comfortable at center back in times where, you know, against Jamaica where they have a very pacey, strong forwards, and he was able to keep up with them and not back down. I thought it was great. And he's yep. been pretty solid throughout the rest of the tournament when he just had to fill in unexpectedly at the same time. So he's his distribution is definitely better than Pines and some other guys right now at the back being, you know, kind of like I think he's more of a natural midfielder, but I think we're going to see him employed more as a center back backup in the future. Yeah. And uh, I think you you have to mention Nick Giacchini as well. Um, mm. That Qatar game was looking for a hero, and he came up and he provided the assist that was needed. I mean, that's what you're looking for from these young guys. You're not always going to have the finished product with them because of because of their age and their you're a little green. But what you're really looking for is a guy who's willing to step up and do the job that needs to be done. And he he came in in a difficult game where the U.S. Well, frankly were just completely outplayed and should have lost that game if it wasn't for a, a safe penalty. Um, yeah. And he came in, he got that late assist and put the U.S. through. So, uh, so good for him. I would say to one player that, you know, at least watching this game kind of pops to mind to me and from some of the games I've watched too, that we, we didn't write down initially, but Kellen Acosta, I think he's yeah. had a, a pretty solid gold cup tournament. Um, I think he definitely puts himself in the conversation to be one of those backups. Any, honestly, any positions in that center midfield, except for a little bit more attacking. He, he's able to cover a lot of ground. He's got some good range on his passes. Um, he's also not afraid to do the dirty work also. I think he's someone to definitely give some kudos to. He's had a good tournament. He's like, he's built for CONCACAF football without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, earlier on, I thought he was a little rough, but as the tournaments progressed, he's looked much better and much more comfortable. So, but yeah, now he's CONCACAF through and through. Yeah. That's saying something. If only, you know, the world cup was CONCACAF like (laughs) we'd have a chance. It'd be nice. (laughs) Um, cool. So good, good conversation there. But moving into Burlhalter as as a coach, as the Gold Cup in general, kind of curious, taking a little bit more of a macro level first, and then we'll dive into the Gold Cup. But just based on what you've seen in his short time in charge of the U.S., I'm kind of curious, you know, what your assessment is, what you think he's done well, where you think he still needs to improve and help improve the team. Um, then we'll kind of, again, dive into like the actual Gold Cup as of, you know, how we think that's been playing out from his perspective as a manager. Yeah. I mean, on a macro level, I think he's actually done a pretty good job. He's the fastest coach to 25 wins. I think, I think is uh, one of the latest statistics that came out. So I think he's doing an excellent job in that sense. He's getting results, which you know, obviously that's what you're based off of. Right. So that's definitely positive, but um, tactically the kind of players that we, you know, pool stitch, the McKinsey, like all, all those guys that like, okay, we're legit now. Like he's, he's instituting a different style of play, which we've always talked about wanting to do it since Jurgen Klinsmann was a, was our manager. Like we never had that play out of the back and just kind of dominate teams. I think as fans, we have to kind of tone it down a little bit in terms of our expectations. Yeah. Should we be be beating Martinique six, one, like we should. Yes, absolutely. But when you come up running against teams like Canada who are, you know, getting better, I think there's more of a respect thing instead of, where we're automatically just thinking, oh, they're an inferior opponent. We have to crush them like mm-hmm. every single game. So I, I think we should tame down our expectations a little bit on him. I think we're definitely harsher than maybe some other managers that we have been in the past, but he's been doing an excellent job in my opinion. Yeah, I think so too. I, one thing I, I've liked that he's done so far is brought a little bit of stability to the starting lineups where we're not, I'm thinking about the Klinsman era and you kind of never knew who you were going to get out in that field. It was, it was always a hodgepodge of, of players that were brought in and out. But I feel like when I'm watching this Gold Cup tournament, you're generally seeing the same faces on the, first, on the 11, starting 11 lineup week over week, um, which I think was nice for them as well. Um, I would like to see a little bit more of tactical 
um, awareness in the substitutions. He's made a lot of like for like substitutions. And I, th- I think that's fine if you're going to stick with your game plan, but there were times when the game plan wasn't working for us. And I would like to see a little bit of a different look and maybe change the formation mid game. But overall, I agree with you, Steve. I think he's done a, a, a you know very good job. I mean, he won, he's in the final for the gold cup. I mean, you can't say anything bad about it. And as of right now, it's an extra time. So <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, to your point though, with the substitutions, I think this is the, best we've seen him with that in the gold cup without a doubt he's changed yeah. tactics plenty of times where typically before it's just like four three three this is how we're playing this is our lineup and we're, we're just throwing that out there this tournament he's done that a lot differently he's he's ripped through di- like different starting formations without a doubt and then kind of done more tactical subs uh substitutions throughout but um he's like understanding that. our pool now yeah, yeah. He's got to know the players i mean we're all getting to know these players i mean a lot of them are what 19 20 22 23 years old so it's nice to see them out there. I don't think where we are now, we don't get without Klinsman, though. I agree. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. I think from this might be a little bit underrated, but from like just like a player's perspective, from what it seems like, they all seem to, from what I can tell, really enjoy playing with him and playing underneath his system. And it seems like for the most part, these players have like a sense of community and unity in the team itself. And I think mm-hmm. he does a really good job of helping drive and foster a culture and environment where they're able to do that and be successful and really come together in that sense, which ultimately, or hypothetically, it should help them play better because they're more comfortable with each other on the field. And I think him and the coaching staff do a great job and also they're passionate, right? Like I, I know we wrote it down too as like a talking point, but when, you know, the U S scored that game, like the winner, in the- <laughs> <laughs> you know, he got right in that fourth official's face and that's what you want to see, especially as a player. You see that that's your coach going up there and talking a little bit of smack. Yeah, that's going to make you a little bit more motivated to go out there and really perform and put your, you know, your, put, really play all out. So, yeah, no, 100%. 100%. I, I'd back that guy up in a second if he was my coach, but he's doing something like that. That's awesome. But, um, yeah, no, to your point, Mike, with the uh, players and how they feel comfortable with each other and what they're, they're starting to obtain, you look on any one of their guys, like Instagram posts or Twitter feeds, every single person on the national team comments on it, like with heart eye emojis, like all that kind of stuff that they, I think they really do have a very good chemistry just off the field as well. And they like each other. And then obviously that's going to translate onto the pitch. Yeah. I think that was, I think one of the problems with Klinsman was that he was a German manager. I mean, these are American players and Greg Berhalter has seen a lot of these guys with during his time in the MLS. So I think he understood he's more of a, a cultural fit for these guys, as well as having a little bit more experience in how the MLS works and seeing them come up and having a longer, um, a longer viewpoint on their careers. So I think having him at the helm um, has been good overall for us. Yeah, Klinsman forced us to go into Europe with the, with our top players, which was absolutely necessary. And then Burr Halter's kind of just, I, I think he's really starting to finish off the job a little bit. Yeah, I don't think either of them succeed without the other. Like, you don't have this team without Klinsman, and you needed Klinsman for Burr, for Burr Halter to do his job, you know? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. no doubt. It's a pretty interesting thing to say, actually. <laughs> but yeah, I would agree with that. Cool. So besides that, I don't think we have any other any other talking points, at least on Burlhalter and the rest of the U.S. men's team. So unless there's anything I'm missing, guys, I got yes. one. Go for it. Who scores the winning goal, or does it go to PKs? Uh, it seems like it's gonna go to PKs. Lot kicks. I don't know, dude. I I've held myself from jumping up on this couch about 16 times with the USA <laughs> chances. That I don't know if you watched like from like the yeah. 75th minute on. I never paying attention, but legitimately, we just were on. Like we couldn't, we just couldn't put anything in the freaking in the net. So I, I think there's actually gonna be a winning goal, and I'm feeling happy. Josie mm. Zardes, 117th minute. Ooh, that's bold. That's bold, sir. Written in the stars. Had a good tournament. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, let's take some time. Enjoy the end of this game. But for everyone who's listening, 
that will do it for this episode of Sunday League Screamers. Again, please remember to like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and anywhere else that you find our podcast. We are now on Spotify as well. Uh, thank you, Vito, for helping set that up. Again, Twitter at SLS Screamers underscore pod for daily tweets, updates about the show, world, football in general. Um, so be free, feel free to obviously comment. We'll chime in and give our opinions. Uh, so with that, I'm your host, Michael Noen, along with Vito Anazelli, Steve McCutcheon, and that is us signing off. See you guys next week. Peace out, boys.